0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Lisa, and you're listening to What's Next with Lisa. Today is Monday, January 18th, 2021, and welcome to an entire episode of Question and Answer, where I'm going to be answering some of the questions that I've received over the course of the last week and a half or so. But before we get into that, I just want to take a minute to say thank you to everybody who reached out to me yesterday after I posted on my Instagram and Twitter that I was going to be late with this episode um, and that as it turned out, I was human and I apologize for that tardiness. However, uh, the fact that so many of you reached out and gave me permission to also be beautifully human was extremely humbling and I'm really grateful for every single one of you. So thank you so much. So without further ado, let's get into an entire episode of the official What's next? Question and answer. Hey, what's next? Okay, Empty Nexters. So, if you were listening to my last episode, I talked about the official steps of a relationship and what they were, but better yet, how to navigate those. And Anytime I do a show like that, that talks about navigating relationships, connecting to your self-worth, I always find that that brings up, rightfully so, a lot of questions that people have. Dating is tough, and especially during, honestly, a pandemic and everything else going on in the world, I think now more than ever, I'm getting more questions about things like self-confidence, self-worth, red flags. And so I really wanted to do an entire episode answering your questions and to see if, you know, maybe we all have the same questions. I don't know. So let's get into it and, you know, kind of be mindful of the fact too that I took all the questions um, that I received and what I do is I tally up um, if I get like duplicates, I tally up the most duplicates that I get. And that's how I select like I think I'm doing eight questions here. Uh, let me double check. Yeah, eight questions. And so I have to cut it down and condense it um, for time purposes. However, if you've got a question that I haven't answered, please email it to me at what's next with Lisa at gmail.com. You can also send me a message on Instagram or Twitter at what's next with Lisa. And I really do try to get to all of them, whether it's through email, whether it's on the air or direct message. So if I don't answer your question here today, do me a favor and send it to me again and I will be happy to try to get to it. So let's get into it here. All right, question number one. Hi Lisa, if I know my attachment style in relationships, How can that help me get through the stages of dating? Okay, so it feels like a million years ago, but a while ago I did a series of three or four um, podcasts on the different attachment styles in relationships. And I can tell you just from looking at my stats, fearful avoidant and anxious attachment styles have the most downloads of any of my podcasts. And so... If you listen to those, then you know what I'm talking about. Or if you've read about them or researched them, here's the thing. Understanding what your attachment style is, is important. However, you can't just stop there. Meaning, if you say, I'm an anxious attacher, which means that you're constantly seeking validation or looking for a a text message or somebody to tell you that you're pretty or looking for a sign that they like you, and you're constantly anxious okay, that's not a way to be in a relationship. So your end game, in my opinion, should be to form a secure attachment. So if you can identify that you're an anxious attacher, don't stop there. Say, okay, what's my end game? Well, my end game is a healthy relationship with a secure attachment because being an anxious attacher probably doesn't feel good and it probably isn't working for me. And so identifying what kind of attacher you are But then you've got to add that next step in and say, so what does that say about me? Why am I doing that? Am I seeking validation? Or if I'm fearful of void, am I afraid of my feelings? What was my childhood like? All of those things. And then you've got to make a plan to say, how can I get to a place of secure attachment? And so I would ask you, what is your attachment style doing for you? So I'm, you know, I'm using anxious attachment here. Um, as an example but you know if you're an anxious attacher and you're constantly seeking that validation or you're texting and then you're getting that ah, sigh of relief of self-worth or you know feeling worthy or pretty or whatever it is when somebody texts you back or says that they're interested I mean that might be doing something for you in the moment but I don't think it's doing anything for you long term so if your end game is a healthy secure attachment you have to start to get really honest about how to change your attachment style to that and start to put your own work into yourself to say, hey, I'm worthy of a healthy, secure attachment. I'm worthy of not having to wonder if somebody likes me or if my feelings matter. I'm worthy and valuable um, for all of that. And you know, I make that sound really easy and it's a lot people spend a lot of time putting a lot of work into it. But what I would tell you is identify your attachment style and then figure out what you're going to do about it to get to a healthy one. Okay. Um, So I hope that helps. All right. Question number two. If holding space for somebody means not judging them, how do you do that and not get hurt? Okay. So here's the backstory on this question. I did a podcast a little while ago about... How You Hold Space for a Loved One Without Disconnecting from Yourself. And the, you know, the highlight, if you will, of that podcast was talking about holding space means creating an objective space where you allow somebody to talk and tell you how they're feeling without taking it on. Because when we take on other people's feelings... That gets really heavy and we take things personally and it's impossible to hold space for somebody to just be if you're constantly judging and getting defensive and taking things personal. So holding space for somebody means creating that space of objectivity to just let somebody tell you how they're feeling without feeling the need to fix it or judge it. And I like this question, Um, you know, and the question says, how do you do that and not get hurt? So let me tell you my number one rule with holding space. Yes, it's supposed to be a non-judgmental, a very objective area. However, that doesn't ever mean that verbal and emotional or physical abuse is ever okay in the spirit of not judging and being objective. If somebody's calling you names, if someone's being verbally abusive, if they're manipulating you, they're not holding up their end of the bargain to be worthy of your space so you don't give it to them you don't put up with crap okay there's a big difference so a lot of times people think oh well I just need to hold space for my loved one which means I'm going to sit there and be a good listener and then that will get them to be a person that respects me or appreciates me and that's not true you hold space for somebody who's worthy of it right you you have to understand that someone else's behavior is a reflection of them not how they feel about you um and so if it's a healthy interaction where someone's not being verbally emotionally or physically abusive that's how you hold the space and you don't get hurt you separate yourself from what they're saying based and understand that that's about them not about how they feel about you now that being said again abuse is never okay Somebody has to be worthy of your space. Okay. And so if they're not, you choose yourself, you set a boundary, and you get out. Don't ever let someone take advantage of your capacity to hold a kind, caring, non judgmental space. Never accept abuse. That's a deal breaker, in my opinion, 100% of the time. Okay. So, question number three What are some of your top tips? to feeling worthy. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, We talk a lot about self-worth. I talk a lot about connecting to your worth, your innate worth, that worth you were born with. And a lot of times, you know, yeah, it can be difficult to feel that. But I would tell you that feeling it comes from connecting to it. So when you think about connecting to another person... I want you to think, how do you connect to other people? Well, you find things that you like, you find things that you have in common or things that you appreciate, things that you love about other people. That's genuinely a great start at connecting to your own worth. It's looking at yourself and saying, I am worthy. I was born worthy. I'm worthy because I exist. Now, to do that, you've got to connect to things you appreciate, things you're proud of. Things that you like about yourself. And then that doesn't mean that you need to be perfect. That means you also give yourself self compassion and grace and patience and a soft approach to yourself. And when it feels kind of off the rails or you feel all over the place, you take a deep breath and close your eyes and you tell yourself until it's second nature I am worthy. I am worthy. I am valuable. And I am lovable. And you tell yourself that enough times until it sticks. And a lot of times I, I you know, I recommend to look in the bathroom mirror. You know, don't leave a bathroom without looking in the mirror and saying, I am worthy. You would be surprised the amount of change that that, that can really spark just by looking yourself in the eye and saying, I am worthy. And for all of you kind of like rolling your eyes thinking that, that sounds really weird, I'm challenging you to try it. I'm challenging you to try something different because if you don't think you're worthy, you don't feel that you're worthy, that's a lie that's been told to you, whether you told it to yourself or somebody else told it to you. And so to change that thought process and connect to your worth and feel worthy, you have to tell yourself you are. So look yourself in the eye and say it out loud. You are worth it. I promise Okay. Number four, Lisa, I have, I tend to have panic attacks before dates. Any ideas of how to stop that? Oh, yikes. Okay. Panic attacks before dates tell me that you are obviously nervous. Get it. First dates can also be, um, can be really nerve wracking. Um, I would ask you though, are you connecting to your confidence? Are you connecting to all that you have to be proud of? Or are you focusing on being chosen and being enough? It's a very different intention. And sometimes the way to squash that anxiety or that panic attack is to really remember that you're the catch. You're the chooser, not the chosen. And you come in then from a place of empowerment and strength versus one of, oh God, I hope I'm enough, which tends to spike anxiety. You know, for panic attacks in general especially panic attacks if you can't see the danger right in front of you or you you don't really know what you're panicking over. It just feels really generalized. Something I always recommend um, if you haven't tried it to at least try getting up and moving. You've got to get up and move when that's happening and I actually want you to tell yourself that you're moving away from the danger because your brain is searching for danger which is why you're anxious. Anxiety is a perceived fear. And so if there's nothing in front of you, I don't know, like a bear or an intruder, then your brain's just seeking, like scanning everything for danger. And so try that. Get up, walk away, start moving and say, okay, we're moving away from the danger. Take a deep breath and move away from the danger. That's panic attacks in general. If they're specific to first dates, again, ask yourself what kind of intention you're going in with and empower yourself to go in as the chooser not the chosen you've got a lot to be proud of it's okay to be nervous it's okay to have butterflies don't deny yourself those gifts because that's fun I mean that's the actual fun part of dating however you've got to be proud of you you are not going in there to prove yourself you are going in there to see if somebody is worthy of you okay which is a good bridge into the next question Hey Lisa, even though we're in a pandemic, it seems as though I've been doing a lot of video dating. What are some topics of conversation to stay away from on first dates? (laughs) I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with your personality. A lot of people are more open than others. um, And I also think the older we get, the less we have a filter. I think by the time you're in your late 30s, it's kind of just like get it all on the table and figure out if you connect. Um, you know, but everybody's different. I don't know. I think first dates, you're trying to kind of feel each other out, see if there's a connection. And so you do want to try to keep it maybe a bit light. Obviously, you don't want to come out of the gate and ask them which side of the bed they want. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) You know what I mean? That seems pretty heavy. Um, and pretty, you know, um, what am I, what's the, I don't even know the word I'm looking for. Oh, presumptuous. There we go. Pretty presumptuous that it's going to go somewhere. You're just getting to know each other. So I think telling your stories, um, you know, talking about common interests, friends, things like that, those are all really good things to connect with. And remember, you never share your story with somebody who can't take care of it. And therefore, if you're on a first date with somebody, they don't need to know everything about you on the first date. First dates are not depositions, guys. They're an opportunity to get to know each other and to have some, you know, um, light conversation to see if there's a connection. So, and like I said, everybody's different. I don't know that you need to talk about if they want to get married or have kids and all those, those topics that typically organically come up. Some people just like to date with the intention of saying, hey, why would we have a second date if you don't want a family and I do? So I think you know, it's up to you to kind of feel that one out and see where you're at and see where the other person's at. I think the Skype dating and the video dating, the one thing I've been hearing that actually makes it a bit um, more difficult is that sometimes the Skype dates are lasting longer than regular first dates because you're comfy, you're in your soft pants, you're at home. And a lot of people are saying that they... They have to cut them short or, or let them go because it just keeps going. And so don't ever be afraid to politely say to somebody, this has been really great. We should do it again, but I'm going to get going for the evening. You're also not obligated to stay on the on the Zoom call or the Skype call, you know, till all hours. Do it again. Schedule another one. So, um, yeah, I think it's whatever, I guess, in conclusion It's whatever you're comfortable with, you know, and um, whatever's really important to you and know what your priorities are, know what your values are, and just try to use the first couple of dates as a way of just kind of feeling somebody out and seeing what they're all about. So I hope that helps. Um, Oh, question number six. Hey, Lisa, what are your thoughts on long distance relationships? Good or bad idea? Well, you know, with pretty much everything, I think every couple's different. I think it works for some couples because they're both in the same place. They both have, you know, the same plan, the same conclusion about where they want it to go. Um, and that works for them. Some couples are just a disaster, uh, when it comes to long distance relationships, because they haven't talked about their values, their futures, how they want it to go, and they don't have a plan. And so I would tell you, What's more important is to make sure you're dating somebody with the same mindset as you. To make sure you're dating somebody that has the same expectations as you on how you want it to go. Is there an end date to the long distance? What are you progressing toward? Are your values the same? Your priorities the same? Things like that. And that's important whether you're in person or long distance. It's even more important if you're long distance because obviously things are a bit strained. Communication can be harder. Not seeing somebody in person can be more difficult. So, I would tell you, good idea if you both have the same vision and you have a good plan. Really bad idea if you do the whole, well, let's just see how it goes. Eh, You know, I don't know how that could ever work out. That's just, I don't know, a recipe for a dumpster fire, if you ask me. Uh, But I know a lot of people that it works for. So, again, up to the individual. So question number seven, Lisa, is it healthy to have different interests and passions from your partner? What's too much to avoid not feeling left out? Oh, I see what you're saying here. Okay. So is it healthy to have different interests and passions from your partner? 100%. Relationships are 100-100, meaning you both hopefully bring the best version of yourselves to the table. Um, and to do that, you have to have things that fill your heart up, that fill you up, that make, that bring you joy. And just because your partner may not share in all of those big deal, they don't need to share them, but they better support them. Right? So, you know, if you're super into mountain biking or I don't care, whatever it is, um, skydiving and your partner says they don't want to do it have no interest in doing it that's a reflection of what their interests are but they support you doing it so go fill your heart up get fulfilled bring the best version of yourself to the table I think it's always great when we have like interests right when we can share things with our partners and so I think that that is, you know, obviously an important component for the success of a relationship. I don't think every single thing has to you have to do together. Quite frankly, I think that actually gets people thinking that they need a new hobby just to get space. Because it's completely natural and normal to need your own space. Um, you don't want to be codependent. So yes, I think it's healthy. And then the second part of your question is, so what's too much to avoid not feeling left out? And I, you know, I don't know why this is written this way, but I'm going to infer what your meaning is that maybe you or your partner are doing something, I don't know, five, six, seven days a week and you feel left out of the relationship. That's a completely different conversation because at that point you bridge over into I support this. But not at the expense of our relationship and seven days a week of you doing this and just not communicating with me or leaving me out. And if you're feeling left out or you're feeling like you're wanting some time or to share some time or the interest with your partner, you gotta talk to him and tell him what you need. You know, I, I don't think it has to be all or nothing. I think it can be I support this interest for you, but you've been gone x amount of days and it's making me feel really disconnected from you so I'm, I just feel like I'm needing an afternoon or an end date to you being gone seven days a week something like that and the right person is going to hopefully understand that and meet you halfway and listen to what it is you need so I think yeah if you're in a position where you're feeling left out like all of their interests are being chosen over you and it's to the detriment of the relationship That's when you have to talk about needs and priorities. Those are pretty normal conversations to have in relationships. So don't beat yourself up too much if that's the conversation you're having. And by the way, your wants and needs are valuable and worthy. Um, Okay, question number eight. My boyfriend doesn't like my friends and is starting to cause, and it's starting to cause problems. Any suggestions? Ay, ay, ay. You know, this one's tough because I, you, ugh, it's tough. And I would, I, I guess the question I would ask is, why doesn't he like your friends? Is it because when you go out with them and you have so much fun, he's threatened by that? Because you get to be your authentic, fun, happy self. And maybe you're not so fun and authentic and happy around him. So is he threatened by them? Uh, Do they put you in situations or you find yourself in situations with them that are unsafe and so that concerns him? I guess I'd want a pretty good why uh, on that deal because for somebody to not like your friends, it's like, it's kind of like saying you have crappy choices and especially if they've been friends for years and years, I'm sure they're really important to you and so I, yeah I think why is the most important thing is is he threatened does he feel like you're unsafe around them um is he jealous what is it because that matters and if he's threatened get over it grow up if if he's worried about you because you tend to find yourself in unsafe situations all right maybe we can talk about that maybe we can talk about the fact that you make you know some uh I guess dicey decisions when you're with them and he needs to feel like you're safe because he loves you I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility um but if he's jealous or threatened you gotta get over it and I would ask if he has some friends of his own um in and if you're making poor choices when you're around your friends so like I said putting yourself in high risk situations or he feels like he can't trust you you know maybe there's something to talk about there because there are concessions and compromises when you're in a relationship i'm not saying break up with your friends i'm saying do your friends also support that relationship that is important for your friends to want to at the very least respect your relationship and respect what it is you're trying to do in building a relationship with somebody there there's a level of that that's important and so You know, my best advice, I guess, for everyone listening is you have to over-communicate. And I say over-communicate because sometimes it feels like you're talking way too much about things, but you can't really enough talk too much until you start to understand each other's patterns, each other's wants and needs, and you come to a place of respecting and, and loving each other and saying, hey, it's us against this pattern, It's us against this problem. How can we love and respect each other to hold each other accountable and to grow together and while staying connected to ourselves as individuals? It's, you know, it's not easy and relationships are tough. And so give yourself some space and some grace to be compassionate with yourself as you do your own work in order to bring a better version of you to the table. When you do that and you can choose yourself and stay connected to yourself, where you need to be in a relationship starts to get a bit easier for you to figure out because you know your worth, your value, and you're not willing to compromise it for anybody's crappy, abusive behavior. So if you guys have more questions, I'm happy to do another Q&A, or I'm happy to move on with topics. Message me, let me know. Email me at what's next with Lisa at gmail.com. You can also send me a message on Instagram or Twitter at what's next with Lisa. I really can't thank you all enough for listening and I can't thank you all enough for the kind words and the support on my social media platforms yesterday. It was a rough one for me and to wake up this morning to the kind messages, I just, my cup runneth over. I love you all. So thanks so much. Don't forget that today is a great day to ask yourself what's next. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and I will talk to you soon. See ya!